The Boise Dev Podcast is brought to you by Anchor. Anchor is a free platform for podcasts like this one. It allows you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. You can even add in songs from Spotify to help spice up those episodes. Anchor will make sure that your podcast is distributed pretty much everywhere. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google, and many more. Plus, you can make money from your podcast with an ad like this. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. On this edition of the Boise Dev Podcast, we have Senator Mary Ann Jordan. With property tax assessments hitting mailboxes all over the area, many folks are looking to the mail and worrying about what they'll have to pay in property taxes. Senator Jordan talks about a bipartisan idea that would help homeowners across the state. Plus, we talk about her path from Neighborhood Association President to City Government and on to the State House. It's up next on the Boise Dev Podcast. You are listening to the Boise Dev Podcast. Development, growth, and exclusive interviews from Idaho's number one business news site, boisedev.com. Senator Marianne Jordan, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. So you've got a pretty interesting history and career here in the Treasure Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, tell me, where did you grow up? Did you grow up in California or where did you, you start? You know, I time? grew up all over the country. Okay. I was born in Connecticut. My parents were native New Yorkers. Uh, great-grandparents all immigrated, half from Italy, half from Ireland. And my folks decided there was a bigger world outside of Brooklyn. And uh-huh. so uh, my dad had a career in managing retail stores, oh, wow. which kind of took us all over. Because you turn for the one Boise around and, yeah, yeah, and there's another one that... Um, needs fixing so um but i landed we landed in northern california um when i was in high school so i went to high school and college in san jose and then um went to san diego after college just to because i could i was at a place in my life where i could just for a little while do what i wanted to do and that's where i met my husband and much longer story but anyway we wound up here in boise over 25 years ago and just loved it so much that we stayed and so you're a san jose Grad. Yes. So for Boise State folks who maybe feel a little rivalry with the Spartans, does no, that ever come up around no, here? No, no, no. <laughs> Always the Broncos. There you Always go, the right? Broncos. Yep. So you moved to the Valley and, and you and your husband started a, a business, a small business? Actually, we moved here because of his work. Oh, okay. And then when there was discussion about us possibly moving somewhere else, we decided we were done moving. We wanted to stay here in Boise. We loved it here. So we bought a business. It was a business called The Cop Shop. Yeah, it did, that. yeah, uniform supply for police, first responders, on Overland Overland Road, right, and ran that for many, many years. And um, at the same time, I was really involved in my neighborhood association and then was asked to serve on the Planning and Zoning Commission. So I did that for five years as well. So those were kind of the nascent days of neighborhood associations here in the Valley, the 90s, kind of that was the new trend. Yeah, it was fairly early on. Um, Former Mayor Coles, Mm -hmm. that was, you know, one of the kind of interesting things that he did was uh, set up the um, system for actually registering neighborhood associations, requiring development notices to go to neighborhood associations so people would know what was going on and, and could respond and get involved. And, um, you know, I, like so many others, came to it because of a project. Um, that was the old uh, Bench to Valley study with the Ada County Highway oh, yeah. District where they were looking at putting a five-mile road across the river. Yeah. And we lived right off five miles, so as you might imagine, that caused some pretty great concern. <laughs> Yeah. in the area and um, it's just one of those things where you know you go to a meeting to find out what's happening and you get more involved and you see the issues and, and the potential for hopefully people working together to come to some kind of solution and 
And, yeah. and so you started your, your kind of civic service and you were planning and zoning and then mm-hmm. you stepped up to city council. You were, it was right at the end of the, the Coles era. Is that right? Well, you know, yeah, I ran in 2001 okay. and it was an interesting day because yeah. I had scheduled a, a press conference on September 11th of 2001 oh, wow. to announce that I was running. And clearly that day became about way more than me. Right. Um, and Vern Bisterfeld was also running for that same open seat. And so he and I spent a lot of time together talking how, about how to navigate an election. What do you do in the shadow of something like 9-11, right? right. I mean, it's just not about you anymore. Right. And, um, and municipal politics aren't really front and center. They anymore. aren't. And yet things at some point do need to, to keep going. And so um, we got to know each other really well. I'd known him peripherally working on some issues, but really got to be friends, actually. And um, he clobbered me in that election, <laughs> which may have not been a bad thing in hindsight and uh, fast forward three years later when a couple of open seats came as a yeah. result of Mayor Cole's resignation and uh, Councilmember Weatherall being elected to the bench um, and Vern was my biggest supporter so um, I always appreciated that from him and I was appointed in March of 2003 so we had a lot to deal with. And was that by did Carolyn Turling Payne make yes. that nomination then? Yes. So obviously kind of looking mm-hmm. for some change in the council and Yeah and I had you know I like I said I'd been on the Planning and Zoning Commission and worked with the Neighborhood Association for a while so I, I knew her I think she knew that I would um, bring some you know reason and fairness to the, the discussion it right. was um, you know for people who were here at the time, I think they remember just how difficult that time was. Um, And people were really caught up in it. And it became very clear that um, we needed to address the issue. We needed to do the right things, hold folks accountable. But most importantly, we needed to button it up and move on with the business of the city. Yeah, for sure. So now fast forward some, what, 16, almost 16 years later. Yeah. And your time on the council has ended, but you um, now moved up the street a little ways and you serve in the state Senate and you're still on the CCDC commission appointed by by Mayor Beter. Um, So you still are very actively engaged in all these civic issues. Mm -hmm. What made you say, you know what, I think it's time for a different challenge. I want to do something other than visit the council chambers every Tuesday. Yeah, you know, um, it wasn't honestly something that I had ever consciously pursued. Um, I spent a lot of time as council president testifying at the legislature against a lot of things that I felt were really harmful to cities. Cities only have so many tools that they can use and um, it can be death by a thousand cuts. Mm -hmm. So um, when the seat came open in my district, um, I was appointed. Elliot's seat, right? Elliot Elliot Work, former Senator Elliot Work, correct. He was appointed to the Idaho State Tax Commission and um, I was approached by several people asking me to apply and my initial reaction was, I'm I'm good, thank you. I'm (laughs) happy where I am and then I thought, you know what, I shouldn't be happy where I am. I should be um, pushing forward and I should be really taking the opportunities to address some of these problems in, in a way that maybe I hadn't thought of before. Um, so I, I really felt an obligation after all my service to the city and my involvement in the community to try to go there as a peer and and talk about these issues and hope to maybe bring a little more um, comprehensive discussion to the table. Mm-hmm. And how do you feel that's gone so far? You're a couple <laughs> sessions in now, right? Three in. Three, it's yeah. um, you know, it's 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 
tough. It's a different. It's a different deal. When you work at the city, you're working with you know six other people. Um, things are fairly specific. You see the results of your work. Um, that you know people will always say that that city government is the closest to the people, and it's really where the rubber meets the road. And and the legislature is. Um, much more policy, much less administration. Uh, you have 105 people instead of six, so you have a little more to navigate there. And um, I, you know, feel like I help bring some things to the table, but I also learn a lot about things that I had no idea um, were really part of, of what goes on in the state. I mean, I purposely asked to be on the agriculture committee. Mm-hmm. My district up on the bench, agriculture is not really a not anymore, it's right? Front yard <laughs> gardens, right? Yeah. But um, you know, that's an important piece of state government, and I want to make sure that when I'm voting on those things, that I'm not doing any damage to to tools that they may have the to and ranchers right, in the state. Yeah. Right. So you've you've kind of made this interesting journey, and um, you still have your your fingers in in the city at CCDC. I see you there each month, mm-hmm. and um, what. What do you think keeps you saying, you know what, I still want to have a career of service and I want to um, be engaged in these things? Because there's so many things I'm sure you could do. Why is this something you decide to put your time towards? You know, for me, it's it's trying to put the pieces of the puzzle together. Because any time, well, really, in, in, I mean, just in life, but, but in, in public service, when you make decisions, if you're voting on a particular bill or you're voting on a particular issue, it's not in a silo. That decision is going to impact so many other things. And especially at the legislature where we get everything one bill at a time without the advantage of a lot of additional um, comprehensive planning, if you will, um, I think it's really important to, to bring voice to what the impacts of those decisions can be. So when you talk about urban renewal or you talk about tools that cities have, cities don't have a lot of tools in the state of Idaho. The authority they have is granted by the legislature. And oftentimes we find ourselves in a position where if a legislator sees a particular project that they don't like or something that a constituent might have been impacted by, um, instead of addressing those things at the local level, where my belief is that they're properly addressed, they will come in and remove that tool. Well, that impacts cities all over the state. And the unintended consequence of those things can be really dire. And I said before, you know, death by a thousand cuts. Um, It it limits the ability to solve a lot of problems. So when I talked to Governor Little on this podcast, the first edition, he actually brought you up. And he was talking about kind of this very issue. Mm -hmm. And the, um, the the airport and Uber and Lyft, mm-hmm. and you had advocated. It sounded like, or at least he said, um, for maybe some some change there. What maybe specifically went into that, and then more broadly, how do you try and look at these things right. where the city and the state impact each other? And that is just like the perfect question. So specifically, the issue is um, there is no regulation on Uber and Lyft and transportation companies in the state of Idaho because when Uber came to Boise uh, and Boise tried to work out a system of background checks and and registrations to make sure that if people had a safety issue they had a place to go and address that concern, um, Uber, and they did it not only in Idaho but in states all across the country, spent a whole lot of money lobbying legislatures to pass a bill saying that these companies could not be regulated. So 
out at the airport if anybody's gone there to pick somebody up at the cell phone lane. My fiance up late at night often. Find out now that you may have to walk a while to get her or park because the cell phone lane has been hijacked by Uber drivers and because the city is legally prohibited by the state from regulating these companies, um, there isn't anything that can be done. And so I did speak to the governor about that and and, um, the idea is that we could at least within airports affect some authority to perhaps give them another space or something. But, you know, airports are paid for by users and users need to be able to get to the airport. It's pretty common in most cities, it right? Is, like there's the, a designated yeah. spot for these things. Right. But the bigger question, and, and I've been thinking about this a lot lately, um, because we have so much conversation going on in, in Boise around um, you know, the increase in home prices and all the other things that are going on is that um, Uber, I think, was kind of the canary in the mine shaft for Boise. It was the first uh, disruptor, if you will, company that really came in hard into Boise. And the fact, and, and I know that the, I fought this hard in my first year in the legislature because I believe that cities have to have the opportunity to guarantee safety for those passengers. Public health and safety is the primary responsibility of any city in the state. And so the mayor and I were both very much in favor of having some regulation. Boise's mayor. Correct. Mayor Beter, I apologize. um, To have some regulation to affect this this safety issue. But more to the point, what's happened is because we have a lot of the so-called disruptive coming in. We have Uber, um, we have Airbnb, we have the scooters, we have all these different things, uh, which are fine and everybody's really kind of benefiting from them in some way. But absent any opportunity to do any regulation, they've they've shifted our economy. Um, They have afforded jobs that are substandard. People are contractors, so there's no benefits. Um, The Airbnb piece is incredibly difficult because of how many um, how much of our housing stock is going into that, and that's so causing reporting this week right, that, yeah. and that's causing a shortage for other people, and it's driving the prices up. And so, when we just jump on the next cool thing bandwagon without thinking about what the impacts of that is going to be, it can be problematic. Um, and so, you know, I, I know this can get to be kind of a wonky conversation, but it really points out that um, you can't just have a knee-jerk reaction. You really got to think about what you're doing with some of this stuff. And even it seems like, you know, with the the scooter companies, mm-hmm. Boise in particular, really put its shoulder to the wheel and mm-hmm. tried to do a lot. And I think it's still seeing a lot of problems. So even when those best intentions come about you can still see some consequences that yeah. you weren't expecting. Yeah, and I mean, I you know, I know people are enjoying them and everything, but like I live up on the bench and I live in a neighborhood that doesn't have a lot of sidewalks, and um, but people are close and so they do walk and they do ride bikes. And when it's littered with scooters in the right of way, it's problematic for people. Right. It's problematic for people who are perhaps um, in in wheelchairs and have a hard enough time navigating already. It's it's a safety issue for cyclists and walkers, um, and. Uh, yeah, it's it's been uh, kind of an interesting issue to watch. Yeah, it has, I've written more stories on scooters. When I started this, I didn't think I'd be writing about <laughs> micro mobility, which is a term I didn't even know before. But that's a fancy word for scooters. Yeah, yeah basically, yeah, it's what Lime likes to call it when you when you call and ask some questions. So <laughs> the reason I wanted to have you on is um, there was this forum on urban renewal on the bench mm-hmm. uh, in May, mm-hmm. and it was an interesting evening. I think for anybody, uh, no matter where they sat. 
from their position, it was quite a um, quite a mix of different opinions and personalities. And uh, you were there, and, and uh, Representative Gannon actually gave you a few minutes. And he, it's funny because he called it an intermission to talk about um, the owner's exemption. And I, I, I texted a friend who was in the audience, and I said, "This is the most wonky intermission ever." <laughs> but intermission is supposed to be like go get, get something go, to go drink stretch and your legs. Go to the yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right? yeah. A wonky issue actually. And I get up to talk about property taxes. Yeah, but, but I thought it was really interesting. And part of it is, uh, you know, doing this job, um, I get a lot of tips and I'm in all the Facebook groups, the North End and the Bench Dwellers, right. as I'm sure you're in, and mm-hmm. my neighborhoods, and everybody's talking about their assessments. Mm-hmm. And I think this is a pretty common thing in May. People mm-hmm. are always chattering about the assessments. But this year, it seems to be particularly acute. Right. And you got up and chatted a little bit about something that's going on with state law that I think maybe has flown under the radar for some people. And I wanted you to come in and kind of explain what is happening and what you're working on and what what we can maybe see from here. Sure. So um, four years ago, um, in my first session at the legislature, and I was still um, serving out my final term at the council at the same time. Well, I didn't say it for that, just to tie the two together because you can really see the impacts. yeah, looking back, I might have been a little crazy. And CCDC, too. <laughs> Sen- let's see, Senator, Councilperson, oh, Commissioner Jordan. <laughs> I've leaned them away. Yeah, that's good. But anyway, um, there was a bill. Well, let me, let me, let me preface this by saying that with, with property taxes, when you live in your home, you're eligible for a homeowner's exemption. And what that used to be was... Um, $50,000 or 50% of the value of your home, whichever was greater. So your assessment would come and, and you'll see the assessment for the land and then the assessment for the, the home. Yeah. And then the uh, exemption would come off the assessment for the home and that's the value that you're taxed on. So let's just say simple numbers. If you had a $100,000 house. $200,000 okay, we'll house. Okay, we'll let you do it. Yeah, yeah. How about let's you do, do a $200,000 house because that really um, helps. So um, in a lot of neighborhoods in Boise at that time, there were a lot of homes that you could purchase for under $200,000 and especially up on the bench where this meeting took place that was an area of some very affordable housing and close into downtown and that's why we all love living there. Well I would guess by that audience and the raised hands most people being 20 years plus Mm -hmm. most of them bought in at well under Either or it's so interesting to me because it was either 20 years plus or brand new. Yeah. There was very little middle ground there which I found interesting but anyway um, so you get your tax assessment and your house is valued at $200,000 and your exact Exemption would be 50% of that value of $100,000. So you'd be taxed on the remaining $100,000. Well, four years ago, the legislature um, decided to cap that exemption at $100,000. As near as I can tell, uh, the reasons that legislators who were there uh, earlier on gave me for doing this was that in the downturn, when property values dropped, people complained about their exemption amount dropping as well. Correct. Um, but because it was, it was also, that 50% threshold. Right. So their house is worth 180 suddenly, then the exemption then is $19,000. Correct. Right. Um, but there was also a big push on the part of the realtors to cap this as well. Yeah. And so now, with the increase in value of so many of the homes, that home that was worth $200,000 before, if it's now $400,000, and I'm doing super simple math right. here just for rounding, yeah. uh, with the cap on the exemption, you're gonna be taxed on $300,000 of value instead of $200,000 of value. And what that's done is it's shifted the total tax burden 
much more to homeowners and away from commercial properties. Mm -hmm. It used to be, I've got a handy dandy little chart here that I got from the 80 County Assessor. And back in 2010, um, the if you took the total property tax burden in Ada County by property type, 65.8% of it was homeowners and 34.2% was commercial property. At the end of 2018, the portion for homeowners is up to 72.9% and down to 27.1% for commercial property. And the gap is widening. And these increases that we've just seen are going to make that gap widen even more. So what we'll do, because I'm, I'm an old TV producer, is I'll get this chart from you and I'll put it up on Boise Dev and I'll also put it in the show notes for this so people can see this chart since I can't show it to you with a, a TV screen here. All right, we'll make sure I didn't scribble on it. We'll be yeah, yeah. Good. Okay. <laughs> so, so that's interesting. So... You know, a lot of uh, commercial types also listen to this podcast, and they're probably feeling some benefit from this. But those people also own homes, right? Right. Many. I mean, although we're seeing a lot of out-of-state investment, mm-hmm. too, right now. So but Here's the interesting part about that. So if, it, if it's a commercial property owner who also owns a home and lives in the home and gets the exemption on their home, the reduction in their business property tax business property taxes is a a top line deduction for their taxes, right? Right. So while they're paying less, they are losing 100% deduction. They go to their homeowners, not only is the exemption capped, and so they're being taxed on more, but the new federal tax changes have made it almost impossible for most people to even itemize anymore. So they're getting hit there too. So it really isn't for, for, for homeowning business owners, it's really not the benefit that people thought it might be. Um, For the big out-of-state commercial property owners coming in, buying up apartments or whatever, they may be seeing more of a benefit. Um, But at the end of the day, the burden has shifted so much and and homeowners are getting squeezed not only because of this but you know with the state not in my mind adequately funding education um god bless idahoans they step up and pass bonds constantly to keep everything afloat and that burden of education provision which is properly before the state is being shifted to homeowners in counties um and something's got to give it's it's just an unfair balance at this point so you've kind of got this dynamic where, uh, and, and I always try to point out to people, even if you rent, this is impacting you in a less tangible way. You're not getting a bill, but you're probably going to pay a higher rent because the property owner, whether it's at home or a duplex or an apartment, has to cover that property tax bill. So it really affects everybody. It does. It does. But make no mistake that, that what's really affecting renters now is the lack of inventory and the um, gobbling up of rental housing in Idaho by um, either uh, folks who are using it for purposes other than long-term uh, home, home rentals or... Um, the apartment complexes that are being bought, people being forced out, and the rents doubled and tripled. So, what do you what do you hope to do here? Obviously, we're kind of built on a free market system, right. and those things are uh, deeply frustrating to people right. who've lived here a long time. And right. but you can't. There's not 
necessarily a curb that we can make, but you had introduced some legislation this last session that was co-sponsored by a Republican member of the, the caucus, and it didn't really go anywhere. Um, or maybe it went further than I'm, I'm oversimplifying, but... No, I think you're pretty much nailing it. Yeah, so mm-hmm. so tell me what you introduced and where it stands, mm-hmm. and then we can talk about where you hope to go now. Sure. So the bill I introduced was simply a bill to reinstate the index that had been used prior. Um, and it was printed in the House uh, Revenue Tax Committee. And just for people, because I get confused at some of these things, what, what does it mean when it was printed? Sure. Um, first of all, it's important to note that at the legislature, any tax bills need to start in the House. Okay. okay. So a committee, uh, when a legislator or someone develops a bill, you take it to a committee chair and you ask that chair if your bill can be heard. And the first step in that is the committee agreeing to print the bill. So you present the basic tenets of the bill. You don't go into a full public hearing at that point in time. You present the basic tenets of the bill, and then the committee will decide, yay or nay, to print the bill. And normally when a bill is printed, it is then given a full public hearing and voted up or down by the committee. And if it's successful, then it goes to the floor for a vote. Um, This was an odd one because the committee agreed to print the bill and then it just sat. It never got a public hearing and it never went anywhere. And so um, clearly- I think that probably would have been a well-attended public hearing. I would think. Yeah. Um, It'll probably be better attended next year. Yeah. They might have missed their opportunity. Yeah. (laughs) But anyway, um, it, it, um, you know, I've tried to kind of get to the bottom of the why. Sure. A little hard to tell. It would be a better question that you might pose to the chair of the committee. Um, His explanation was that he needed more time. So I will take that time over the interim to try to develop more of this information and and get that to other members. Um, The other important thing to note is this is not just an Eaton County issue. This is happening all over the state. Um, I was on the phone from somebody from Lewiston the other day, and they had just gotten their assessments, and they were, you know, they're almost at 50% of their their homes now, over $200,000. Coeur d'Alene, Idaho Falls, Twin Falls, they're all creeping up there. So how do you look at this when, and you're obviously intimately familiar with, with city government mm-hmm. and and local municipalities, mm-hmm. and, and they generally, especially around here, they take their maximum allowed mm-hmm. increases each year, so you kind of have that, and that layers on top of this uh, issue with the assessments, and how do you mix this all together for people and say, here's, here's some relief or here's some things that you can do to maybe help this? Right. Well, the first thing to do when you mix it all together is try to um, try to daylight the fact that it isn't just like one city taking their three percent that's causing this issue right right it's always tempting to just point to one thing and say it's that fault sure and it's just simply not you see that in Boise I mean I think people say oh they always raise their three percent and it's every year but let's talk about what happens when the three percent doesn't get raised you know the Ada County Highway District has has rarely taken their 3% over the last 12 or 13 years. And the result of that is that projects are even further behind and, you know, they do not have the the money to do the projects that need to be done. Um, And I think that when you do the math on that 3%, I'd be happy to contribute the two or three bucks a year that it would mean to, you know, have another sidewalk or bike lane in my neighborhood. And I think most people feel the same way. Well, this is 
specific to that agency. The ACHD, but, okay. But yes, yeah. and, and that really is the case because, you know, anyone who's a private business owner knows that you always have to look at your costs every year and you have to look at what you charge your customers because you've got to balance that out. And as the city grows, the demand for services grow and, and not taking 3% or cutting taxes doesn't make the demands go away. Um, sometimes it makes it worse right. because if they're not being filled, um, then they just grow. The demands just grow. So um, it's part of it is the cities, but then part of it, like I said before, is that the state is very much about limited government and, and cutting taxes at every opportunity. But again, the demands don't go away. And so communities are having to fill those gaps in, in schools and in other areas that um, shift that burden more and more onto the local taxpayers. So when you when you look back at a career long career in service and you've got your name on a city council chambers, uh, quite an honor. Still amazed by it's that. It's very hard to, I'll tell you, I was trying it's to do hard some to research. It's look at. It's very it, it humbling. Was, I was trying to uh, look some information up at you, on you on the city's website, and when you search your name, there are more hits than you could ever imagine now because, because every council that. agenda and <laughs> public hearing has your name. But, but So talk about some unintended consequences. But when you look back and you think, here's my legacy, here's what I've done. It's not a name on a council chambers, I'm sure. What do you think that hope that people will remember you and your time in service for? Reasonable. Yeah. I just feel like, um, you know, I can be as passionate as the next person about a lot of issues, and a lot of people know that about me, and I'll go to bat for stuff I believe in, but I... I believe so strongly in civil discourse and in fact-based decision-making, and I will fight for that every step of the way. Do you feel like you are able to make that dent to the state house? You know, I feel like every night I can go to sleep and know I did my best, and and that's really all you can ask at the end of the day. Um, I hope I am. I think that 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 there are folks who will acknowledge that. There's a couple people there that kind of joke a little bit about, oh, you and your facts and your science, <laughs> right? But but I take that as a compliment because that means I'm doing what I'm setting out to do and I'm not diving into the hyperbole. Do you feel like you you get along with the governor in that sense? Doing that interview with him, I got a very much a sense of facts yeah. and science for yeah. him. Do you feel like You know, a- yes, and I have a lot of respect for the governor. He he was the, um, he chaired the Senate when I first came in as a brand new baby senator and I came in in the middle. I came in in the beginning of March. You oh, know wow. what that place is oh, like wow. in the beginning of March. The socks are starting to creep out. Yes, yes. <laughs> I mean, it is not the time to learn, and and you just get thrown right into the deep end. And um, he was just unbelievably gracious and fair, and and he he gets where I'm trying to go. He knows I'm not being a flamethrower, and he knows that I'm I'm trying to do the best I can do, even though we may agree or disagree on things. And I I like to feel like there's a lot of mutual respect there. So we've got just a couple minutes left. Mm-hmm. I, I want to ask you about something that I tend to cover a lot, which is this kind of friction between city, some cities in the state, mm-hmm. state of Idaho, mm-hmm. the highway district, uh, the urban rural agencies. Uh, I don't mean just the one that you serve sure. on, but but several of them. Yeah. Um, when I was speaking at mm-hmm. Senator Gannon's forum, I tried to point out like urban rural is not just Boise. Gannon. I'm sorry, Representative Gannon. Yes, I keep doing that. At least it's a, at least it's a promotion, right? At least it's not the <laughs> other way. Um, where do you see this all going? It seems like there's kind of a lot in the air right now. Do you see there being any way to improve these things? How do you help people dig in and figure out how to 
build their government the way they want to see it. Well, I think that it'll be an interesting journey with regard to urban renewal over the next couple of years because the House Bill uh, 217, you know, it's going to make it tough. And it was intended, make no mistake, everybody can call it what they want, but that was intended to get at the stadium and the library projects in Boise. The unintended consequence of that bill is that it's going to really complicate projects in smaller communities. And so I think there's legislators that are going to go home and be home over the summer and they're going to hear from their their mayors and their urban renewal agencies and their private developers saying, look, you know, you're really hurting our efforts here with this. Um, you know, I like to use the example real quick that if, if a small community had saved up $3 million to build, to remodel their old crumbling city hall and their urban renewal agency was going to contribute $30,000 to um, an outdoor public plaza space, that would have to go to a vote. And the cost of running that election would be more than the contribution that the urban renewal agency would make. So I don't understand the point of things like that. They're punitive. Um, if there are places where it's being abused, then absolutely we need to be looking at that, and that's our job. So I think it's going to sort over the next year or so. You know, we're in kind of a booming economy, and this is where you find out where the harms are. And I think that when we come back next year, we can find out where people have learned that they may have, you know, tipped it a little over too far in one direction. Well, it'll be an interesting legislative it's session, always as it always is. <laughs> Senator, I appreciate your time. And Thank you. Thanks for taking a few minutes. Thanks very much. Thank you.